0: We're now in the season of Lent, and um, I want to just encourage you to continue to persevere in in this. Some of you are new to Anglicanism or new to liturgical worship, and I just want to encourage you to to keep pressing in to that which you may not understand. I know that for me in my life, and once again this year, God is, is in the midst of sort of churning things up and teaching me things as I walk through Lent. Um, I've got a lot of books today, so I just want to apologize for that in advance. I'm going to make you look at a few things. But I want to just test that phrase that you heard at the beginning, the phrase, journeying to Jerusalem. We're told that Jesus is journeying on to Jerusalem, stopping along the way to teach and preach along as he goes. And that's an important um, word because you remember that Jesus, as he says in our gospel reading, is on his way to Jerusalem to die. He knows that that's where Unpopular speakers get taken, and that's what happens to them. They get killed. They get silenced. Jesus is on his way, journeying to Jerusalem. For us, Lent is a similar, if you will, journey towards Jerusalem. It's a, another opportunity for us to once again ask God to do something in our lives that we might be prepared to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after him, as Jesus will say in just another couple of chapters in Luke's gospel. The word Lent actually comes from the Old English, and it means spring. So it's appropriate that we would be now in daylight savings time because life is getting lighter and the days are getting longer and praise God we're back in the good time, right? Long summer nights, here we come. But that spring is also meant to encourage us to think about a springtime in our own hearts as we prepare for Easter. It's pretty popular. I don't I think we practice it too much, but spring cleaning used to be a thing, right? You you'd clean after the winter, and so spring cleaning, think of Lent as a time of spring cleaning in your own life, clearing away and making ready for the Lord. Lent can be challenging if you're used to feel good sermons. I apologize. This is not going to be one of those today, um, because Jesus really kind of makes us uncomfortable with how he approaches this gospel reading we have, and that's really where I want to encourage you to turn with me. If you've got the, the Bible in front of you there and want to take a look, you're happy to do so, chapter 13 of Luke. And and I, I want to just just remind you that for the, the religious Jew of the first century, the assumption was that most people that were Jewish would make it into heaven. They would make it into salvation, into eternal life. Now I'm talking about the Pharisees who were the, the zealous religious people of that day. And and it's possible that whoever is asking this question is actually asking it because they want Jesus to, to give the answer that's appropriate, right? Most Jews will make it into heaven. A few won't. A few really bad people, you know. Korah in the Old Testament, you can look him up, he gets, he gets taken care of, but, but most Jews will make it, but except for a few proselytes who, who really adhere to Judaism, most Gentiles will be damned. That was the answer that they were looking for, but Jesus doesn't give that answer, does he? As a matter of fact, Jesus takes our objective questions and he always personalizes them, right? You know, that's what we want to do. We want to we're we're intelligence. This is a university town. We like to ask intelligent questions, objective questions, and we want objective, clear, concise answers. But Jesus doesn't play by our rules. He makes it very, very personal. They say at least one of them says, "Jesus, uh, how many will be saved? Will there be few?" And Jesus Turns it around and says, you, you strive to enter through the narrow door. For many there are who will seek it and not, will try and not make it. He turns it right on them. You will seek, many will not be able, he says in verse 24. And immediately Jesus puts us all under the spotlight strive to enter through the narrow door now you may think of the word striving as uh, like a works like we just finished the olympics so those who prepare in the olympics they they work diligently they agonize over getting prepared for the event but striving really isn't about earning that's not what jesus is saying we know that scripture is very consistent we can't earn salvation we it's a gift that is given Just to point to the example from our Old Testament reading, Abraham is asleep when God takes and walks through those sacrifices and makes covenant with him. Abraham's asleep. Go back and look at it. He's not even there to to answer any questions. This is something that God does for Abraham while he's in a deep, deep rest. And so it is for us. We can't earn salvation, but we are called to give forth Wholehearted effort, and that's what the word striving means. It's actually where we get the word agonize. To to, we think of agony as something that painful and suffering, but, but it's also it's it's concerted effort. It's it's wholehearted effort put towards something, focused effort, as opposed to half-hearted effort which, let's be honest, most of us are really good at. Half-hearted effort, right? Half-hearted at our sports, half-hearted at our, our reading or our disciplines or even our work at times, right? Half-hearted efforts. We, 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 we are really good at that. But Jesus says, you strive towards the narrow door. You should pull all your efforts, be wholehearted and focused in your effort to enter through the door. Now, there's a parallel to this over in Matthew's gospel. If you want to turn over there, it's, it'd be great. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. And in Matthew seven thirteen, it's just the Sermon on the Mount, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to talk about different ways, the narrow and the broad the, different, the one gate and another gate, and, and, and he goes back and forth with several comparisons. But verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it. I think in this contrast from Matthew's gospel, we get a greater understanding of what Jesus is getting at in our passage about this narrow way you see it's you see john stott says it's easy it takes very little effort john stott is a an anglican evangelical preacher uh, who's now with the lord but in england but john stott says that 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 it's it takes no effort to go through the broad way the broad path is easy right no effort whatsoever um, you know, my brother and I were doing some hiking up in the mountains. And, you know, there, there are places where you can, there are cheats where you can just take the gravel road or the paved road and get to the same place. But Jesus says, that's easy. That takes no effort whatsoever. But the narrow way requires great effort. It's hard and it has to be pursued diligently And that's the difference that we're called to consider. Are we gonna go the broad way, which is easy, or are we gonna go the narrow way, which requires much more effort? Tim Keller, famous Manhattan Presbyterian pastor says, the gospel is not opposed to effort. The gospel is opposed to earning. And I think there's a difference that we have to distinguish. Because I think sometimes we have this idea that the gospel means that God has done everything for us and nothing is required of us. And Jesus is making it clear that we must put forth effort even while we know there's no way we could possibly earn salvation. The question Jesus imposes on this question asker is are you striving, are you putting forth whole effort to enter through the narrow way. And that same question has to echo in our hearts and minds. And Lent is a beautiful time to let the Lord ask that question. Let him do the spring cleaning. Now just to clarify a few figures of speech in this passage, narrow door is equated with salvation. Entering through the narrow door, it's not a literal narrow door, it's a, it's a metaphorical door, it's, it's the way you enter into salvation. And, and master and God are, 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 are being used analogously in, in, the, in the parable that Jesus tells because he, he goes on to talk about the fact that that uh, going back to, to our, our gospel reading, he, he talks about a, a parable about a master of a house that rises and shuts the door in verse 25 and you begin to stand outside and knock the door. Is, the door is open to us, uh, um, open the door to us and then he will say, I do not know where you come from. This is, this is that master in the parable Jesus is telling is to be God. The the point that Jesus is making is that there is a time-limited offer to enter through that narrow door, that there will be a time when time is no more. And so Jesus is urging those who are listening and us this morning to consider if we are in fact seeking to enter through the door or not. You can be near the door, Jesus goes on to say, and not yet enter. The second part of the parable that Jesus talks about is, is, those, is what, they, what they begin to say, that we ate and drank with you, verse 26, in your presence, and you taught in our streets but 27, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. Jesus is making it clear. There, there is a time when we must make a decision whether we will enter the door or not. And he's also making a statement that it's not enough to be in proximity to the door. We actually have to enter into it. Jesus is making it clear in this parable that, that there's, there's no recognition in these that would want to enter now that time is over, now that time is up. They did not identify with God. There is nothing that identifies them with him once the door is closed. Sober, sober thoughts. And I know for you and for me, we, we have loved ones that we worry about. Do they know uh, the gospel have they they entered into that door and, and those are the people that we pray for and we seek to be a living life-giving witness before? But the question this morning for us is is very personal, personable. Are we striving? Are we wholehearted in our effort to enter in to salvation? Well, what does it look like to strive? What does it look like to actually make that effort, that wholehearted effort? Well, it seems pretty clear to me that Jesus is saying we need to repent of the works of evil, what he says there in verse 27, that there are works of evil that we do that we need to repent of. I want to ask you to pull up that, that, um, that prayer book, the red prayer book you've got there, and, and flip over to page 548, there is a, an amazing litany that we do on Ash Wednesdays, we begin the season of Lent, that helps to be a springboard for us in this process of spring cleaning in our own hearts and minds. So as we reread this, as I just skim through these, I'm not going to do the whole thing. We're not going to speak in response, but I just want you to consider this. And I, I keep bringing this up because I know some of you couldn't be here on, on that Ash Wednesday. I just want to remind you of these amazing ways that we can, we can look at our own lives and examine ourselves and see what are the evil ways we need to repent of. So just going down there for our unfaithfulness and disobedience, for our pride, vanity, and hypocrisy. You didn't think this was going to be a nice list, did you? Self-pity and impatience, envying those who are more fortunate than ourselves. Unrighteous bitterness, resentment, gossip, lies, slander, sexual impurity, exploita- exploitation of other people, our failure to give ourselves in love. Self-indulgent appetites and ways, our intemperate pursuit of worldly goods and comforts our dishonesty in our daily life and work, our ingratitude for gifts, our failure to heed God's call, for our blindness to human suffering and need, our indifference to injustice and cruelty, our wastefulness and misuse of creation, our lack of concern for those who come after us, false judgments and prejudice and contempt of others, uncharitable thoughts towards our neighbors, Negligence in prayer and worship. Seeking, uh, and, then, and presumption and abuse of our, your means of grace. Seeking the praise of others rather than the approval of God. And fair to commend the faith to those that is within us. In other words, not commending the faith to other people. If you can read that gauntlet of things and say, yep, I'm good and all that. I'd like to talk to you after the service. Because I'm sorry, but that just, it nails me every time. And, and on different days, different things. It's so easy to minimize our sin and to overlook our sinful ways. But friends, we don't want to be like those that Paul talks about in the, in the Philippians passage Justin read this. We don't want to be those who've, who've despised the cross of Christ. If we aren't truly sinful, broken people, then why did Christ have to die upon the cross? And yes, the very people that Paul is struggling to help the Philippians understand, there are those who, their God is their stomach. Their pride is their shame and their end is destruction. They were approximately near, but they've never walked through the door. Barbara Brown Taylor is a world-renowned uh, author and, and preacher. She's amazing, and if you get a chance, read some of her sermons. I just picked up one. It's entitled "Listen, Lenten Discipline, and, and she says it this way. Little by little, Christians became devoted to their comforts instead. In other words, instead of devotion to God, the soft couch, the flannel shirt, and sheets, the leg of lamb roasted with rosemary—these things made them feel safe and cared for. If not by God, then by themselves, they decided they were. There was no contradiction between being comfortable and being Christian, and therefore, before long, it was very hard to pick them up out of the population at large. They no longer distinguished themselves by their bold love for one another. They did not get arrested for championing the poor. They blended in. They avoided extremes. They decided to be nice rather than be holy, and God moaned out loud, She's got quite a way with words. Friends, if we're going to heed Jesus' call and strive to enter the narrow door, we're going to have to repent of those evil works that we're all guilty of. Lent becomes an opportunity for us to allow the Lord to do that spring cleaning in us. Secondly, we, we need to, I think, if we're going to strive to enter that narrow door, we need to spend time with those who will be good examples to us. Paul commends himself, which is always dangerous. Paul commends himself that you should follow him and others like him in pursuing uh, God. He says it right there at the beginning of our verses. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples. You have set in us. We need to be considering, are, are we surrounding ourselves with those who are also wholeheartedly striving to enter through the, the kingdom of God? I don't mean to exclude people who are not. We have to be salt and light. But there needs to be people in our lives that are speaking into our lives and encouraging us on because it is a long, long way. Lent is not about trying to be holy. I, I think you heard Father James say that last time. If you were here, Ash, Wednesday, you heard me say it. It's not about work harder Christianity. It's not about trying to, to be holy by things we give up or by the things we take on. It's not about more work. It is, though, about effort. It's about coming to grips with the things that possess us. And then also the grace that God imparts for us to live apart from those things. What I mean by that is that when, when we recognize how dependent we are upon sweets and, and, and food in general, for instance, and we are able to, uh, to, to skip a meal or maybe even God calls us to fast for several meals and we're able to do that, we realize that, that God's grace has been extended to us and that we have the strength to in fact live without this greater dependence upon those things. We become aware of them and then we become a part aware of God's grace. Paul puts it this way in Philippians right before what, he, what we read this morning. I wanna read it to you because it's, it's Paul. <laughs> Not that I have already obtained this and I am already perfect, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You you, you hear that? It's, It's not that he's trying to earn Christ's love, but he wants to do this because he's received by grace God's love. Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it that to you also. Only let us hold true to that which we have obtained. I believe this, this, is, this passage from Olympians is, is right in line with what Jesus is calling us to when he says or to strive to enter through the narrow door. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, let me go ahead and say the narrow door is Jesus, right? Jesus will say in John's gospel, I am the door. Jesus is saying, it's me. You you are to come through me. I'm the narrow way. I'm the exclusive way that many will not find or will not enter. There are plenty of people who acknowledge that Jesus is a historical person, but they, they won't trust him for salvation. We must come to the place of recognizing that it is only through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Lord that we can enter into salvation. I was writing back and, and I was just struck by the, the radical, love of Jesus and the radical call to, to belief and trust in him. And the words of the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, came to my mind. Indulge me. I told you a lot of reading today, but let me, let me just read for you, It Is Well With My Soul, the third verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Here's the thought, not about the sin. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Have we come to a place, have you come to a place of recognizing your desperate need for salvation in Christ and putting all of your hopes and efforts into pursuing the life in him? Because that's what it takes, that's what the Christian life calls us to. Not to earn salvation, but an appropriate response to salvation. Recognizing the things that would possess us and hold us back. And letting go of those things that we might seek after Jesus The end of the Ash Wednesday service. We pray this prayer. It's on 551, but I'll read it in case you don't want to turn there. Oh Lord, our God, grant us grace to desire you with our whole heart, striving to enter through the narrow door. That desiring you, we may seek you. That seeking you, we may find you. That finding you, we may love you. And that loving you, we may hate those things sins for which you have delivered us through Jesus Christ our Lord amen well I should end there but I have to tell you at the end of the ser- at the end of the sermon at the end of Jesus's teaching he actually does answer the question will there only be few how many will be saved because Jesus goes right to the heart of it on, in verse 29 I flipped around so much I have to go back to to the passage we were at back to Luke 13. But right at the end of, of verse 29, he, he, he will say, he, he talks about those that will, that will not be in, because they will be near, but not go in. they will Their time will run out. But then he talks about the kingdom of God, and people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who were last will be first, and some who were first will be last. Of course, that's That's referring to the Jews who think they're first but are going to end up being last and and the Gentiles who are last who end up being first. The narrow way becomes the broad way. How, How many will be saved? Many. From the east and the west and the north and the south. Many will come through that narrow way but find that narrow way to open up into the broad way. And we have the amazing image of Revelation 7 where we see people of every tongue, tribe, and nation present. And there will be people present from nations and tongues and tribes that you don't think should be there or I don't think should be there but they will. The narrowness of the door becomes the broadness of the offer of the gospel. Whosoever will may be saved. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God is raising from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the question for each and every one of us is are we entering through the door that is Jesus? Are you close but not in? Are you putting off because you don't really want to make the hard call of lordship? Today is the day of salvation. Amen.